I did something. I did something terrible. Something that no one will forgive me for. Something that no one will ever look at me the same for. Something that completely changed who I am. I can't be the same person. What will God think of me? Have you ever had that conversation go on in your head? The conversation of guilt and shame for something you did? Something you thought that God couldn't forgive you for or that God would look lesser upon you for because you did something so terrible? All of us have had that moment in our lives where we've done something that we think is irredeemable. But when we look to Exodus, we see that even the irredeemable, those who feel like they can't amount to what God has for them, God still uses for his glory and for his greater plan. This is Katie Thomas on Being Bold MCR. So all of us have that story at some point in our lives where we did something where we thought, oh no, this is terrible. I remember when I was in first grade, I had one of those really, really almost funny in a sense looking back on it, but actually not because it was still kind of bad. But I went to a friend's house and they had a little list pet shop that I really wanted. Now, I was like in first grade, and I knew better than to take people's things, but like I really wanted the little caterpillar, and my friend had been bragging about having it, and I had just had enough. So as a first grader, what I did was I took the caterpillar pet shop home with me. I stole the pet shop. And... The funniest thing about this was the minute I got into the car, I realized, oh no, I'm going to be in trouble if my parents found out I did this. So I hid the caterpillar in a little music box that I had that years later we ended up donating and the caterpillar with it. I literally, as a first grader, felt so ashamed of taking that caterpillar that I just refused to tell my parents, who ironically are going to find out about this as they listen to my podcast. I felt so guilty and I felt so ashamed that if they found out or if they knew that I just wasn't going to be looked at the same as their daughter again. All of us have had mistakes as small and even bigger than the one about me stealing a littlest pet shop, which honestly, looking back on it, would have just been easier to give it back to the person than to show my parents, but all that aside, all of us have done something that we think will change the way people view us and even the way that God will view us in coming to his throne and coming before him saying, use me. And we see that whenever we look to the book of Exodus. In fact, we're going to pick up in chapter 2 and verse 11. This is after the book talks about how Moses was born, how he was drawn up out of the water, how he was a chosen person. And it starts on verse 11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now, remember, this is somebody who earlier in this chapter was born and God had set aside for a purpose, that purpose we're going to find out, to deliver the Hebrews out of Egypt. He's got a purpose. God has a plan for him. Moses doesn't necessarily know this plan yet. Here we are. Moses is deliberately doing something that he knows is wrong. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, 
that indicates that Moses didn't, Moses wasn't just like, oh, killing people is bad because the thing is, Moses was the one who brought down the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments weren't even written yet. Like murder wasn't something that was forbidden in the law yet. However, we see that he knows this is wrong because in verse 12 it says, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. And what I like to note about this and what is so interesting about this is it shows how a moral law is written in the hearts of human. Little tangent here. So many people talk about the idea that morality is subjective in my generation. It's honestly a pet peeve of mine. People say that there is no, sub- there is no sorry, objective moral law. There is no such thing as some people in my life has called it a capital T truth. However, we see in the book of Exodus how even before the law in which differentiated between sin and right doing, moral standing, before that was even brought down off the mountain, Moses knows what he is doing is wrong because he does two things. Looks in all directions and then goes on to hide the body in the sand. If he thought that murder was okay or that killing Egyptian wouldn't be a big deal, if he thought that it was, in a sense, moral, righteous, any of that, then Moses would not have hit the body and would not have cared if anybody was watching. It wouldn't have been a big deal. And not only that, but when we go on into verse 13, it says, Next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Moses says, Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Verse 14, The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? What does Moses say? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. Moses did something terrible. And not just like stealing a little pet shop terrible. He killed a man and deliberately did so, knowing that it was wrong. Have you ever had that? The shame, everyone knows that I slept with him. Everyone knows that I tried that drink at that party. Everyone knows that I cheated that person out. Everyone knows that addiction I have. Everybody knows what I did. Everybody knows that shame and that guilt because we know that what we did was wrong. That feeling that what we've done has completely messed with our identity, who we are, and most importantly, who God views us to be. Everyone knows what I did. Verse 15 says, And sure enough, Pharaoh went, heard, sorry, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. I'm not going to go ahead and get into detail a little bit in this chapter, but basically this chapter begins to go into how when Moses went to Midian, he defended some, some daughters of a priest and ended up marrying one of the daughters and Ultimately, he started a family, and he began to live his life out in that land with that other family. But what I want to notice and note is that something that is interesting to me is that Moses knew what he was running from, yet he didn't know what he was running towards. God knew what he was running towards, but he was running from his past. He was saying, I did this terrible thing. I can't stay here. I have to run. I have to leave. I have to go. No one's ever going to view me the same. I can't be used here. And I think in the same sense, a lot of us experience the same things in our daily lives. Where we do something, we're like, I can't even be here anymore. I can't be used in this area. I just can't. I have to leave. Moses knew what he was running from. 
He didn't know what he was running towards. But God had a plan and God knew what he was running towards. When we pick it back up in verse 23, it says, Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. You have to remember, this slavery had been going on for a long, long, long time. Longer than any of us who have been listening to this podcast have been alive. It's, it's been years. And they're groaning under the burden of slavery. Is it possible, do you think, that the Hebrews were like, God has forgotten us. God has left us to the Egyptians. There is maybe no God. God has somehow forgotten us. God doesn't care about us. If God cared about us, he would deliver us. Sometimes the impatience of God's plan can lead to our doubt in his existence. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. Even though they didn't feel like God was doing anything about it, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was that promise? He promised to bring them into the promised land. The land in which God said, I will be fruitful to you. And the land in which, well, he'll describe it later on in chapter 3 to Moses, what it is. It is a land Actually, this is in verse 8. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, wow, somebody try to look at those words and read them like that, now live. Flowing with milk and honey. Just absolutely amazing. <clears throat> but years passed and the king of Egypt died. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his promise Verse 25 says, he looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God, who sits outside of time, looking on creation, knowing every single person, every single person in their struggles. He knows, he knows not just that the people are being burdened under slavery, but he knows each one of their individual stories, each one of their sufferings, down to the cuts and bruises they get on a daily basis, to each and every word that might be said to them, to everything. God knows the suffering of each and every Israelite. He knows. And an interesting thing to me is that whatever you're going through today, may I just point out to you right now, that whatever you're being enslaved to, whether it be addiction, whether it be something that you can't shake off, whether it be fear, whatever you are enslaved to, not only are you not alone, as this generation is being arrested with slavery of different things, as the enemy is trying to keep us away from God's plan for us, make us forget God's plan for us, and the promised land God has promised us, in the midst of all our slavery, maybe in a different sense, God knows each and every one of our stories. He knows each and everything that has been said to us, each and every thought that goes through our head of doubt that God doesn't love me, no one loves me, I'm so alone. Even the thoughts that many people in this generation have had of, I shouldn't even be alive. God made a mistake. Those thoughts and that slavery that we experience today, God knows each and every one of you and knows each and every one of the things you are suffering with. He knows your story in slavery, but he also looks at it on the global scale of creation. Everybody and their situation under slavery. 
just as he looked at Israel. He looked down on the people of Israel who were being enslaved, who were being burdened, and he knew it was time to act because it is God's timing that produces the best in our lives. God is there with us through the wilderness. He walks with us through the wilderness. He hears us in the wilderness, but it comes down to his timing for best deliverance. That's not to say that you keep on sinning or you keep on being addicted to anything or when God when you cry out to God God will meet you there that is a guarantee that is a promise he made to us but it's all the things that come out in our lives when we call out to God come out in his timing so what do we know from this that God hears your prayers But not only that, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He promised the promised land for the Israelites. But for us, he also has a promised land. God has a promise for a Christian. Not only is it eternal life when we give our lives to Christ, but he promises blessings. He promises all different things, even here on earth. And we best not let the enemy let us think that he has forgotten us. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants us to think that God has forgotten us, just like the Israelites thought that God had forgotten them in the land of Egypt. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump down to chapter 3. We're getting through a lot of Exodus today. But in chapter 3, this is when Moses is living in the land of Midian. One day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Now, I just want to pause for a second. That's, that's like the most real statement I think I can find in this whole chapter. He stared at it in amazement. Who wouldn't? There's a bush that's burning. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. So what did Moses say to himself? This is amazing. This is amazing. The bush isn't burning up. And then he asks, why isn't the bush burning up? And then he goes to see it. I just love that because... I, I feel like I do the exact same thing. I'd be like, this is weird. This defies what normally happens. Like, like, this was a long time ago, but I'm sure Moses knew that fire burned things up. So when something isn't burning up, you know, it's, it's like, why? The question of why? Because we know that it's not normal. We'd all be the same way. But then verse 4 says, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him, From the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. First off, can you imagine hearing the voice of God? God like spoke to Moses. Not just like what we we think about today, like the whisper of God. Or when God speaks to us, but not audibly. God just spoke to Moses. I mean, later on in the story... It talks about how God spoke to everybody and, and they, told, they told Moses, don't let him do that again. Don't, we don't want that again because it, it almost killed them. So here God is speaking to Moses. But do we remember what Moses did? Do we, do we remember? This is the God of creation. This is the God over everything. This is the God who created heaven and earth. This is the God who set down a moral law. This is God. Yahweh. Moses is not righteous. Moses has sinned. Moses, above all else that we know, 
killed a man. Moses was running away because of his sin. Moses, because of his sin, was not righteous in that respect. And even though this was before God had carved out the law, Moses knew what he did was wrong and bad. That's why he ran. Yet in the midst of his wrong, here God is speaking to him. Is it possible that the God of the universe wanted to speak to Moses? Had a plan for Moses in the midst of what he did? That is it possible that that same God has a plan for you and wants to speak to you? Maybe, maybe not audibly like he did to Moses, but is it possible that God wants to enter your life and let you know he is there for you? Because when you come to the end of yourself, God wants to meet you there. God wants to meet you and wants to be there and wants you to know that this, the world, the life that you're living, the life that you lived in the past, the person you are running from, God has bigger things for you. So much more even now through Jesus Christ than even what happens with Moses. Because here's the deal. What did Moses say when God called out his name? Moses said, here I am. When you say, here I am, to the God of creation, to the great I am, God will meet you. God will reveal the plans he has for your life, and he will give you what you need. He will be there for you. He will be your comfort. He will walk with you in the trials. God has a plan. When God calls out your name, even in the midst of your mistakes, and the midst of your mess up, when everybody's like, you're such a screw up. Even in the midst of all that, when God calls out your name, when he calls out, who knows, Nathan, Nathan, or John, John, or Lauren, Lauren, we say, here I am. Then God will meet us there. Maybe not on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, but he'll meet us even when we're in the midst of the valley low. He will meet us. He will walk with us. And he will change our lives when we say, here I am. In verse 5, it says, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. I think all of us would do that. Verse 7, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I love the way, I love the way that this is put. The Lord told him, yes, I am aware of their suffering. As if to say, there were people that were like, God must not be aware. God must not hear us. God must not care. Here God's like, yes, I am aware of their suffering. I am aware of what is going on. I am God. You know, I just love the way that the Lord says that. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Maybe he didn't say it sarcastic like I'm saying it, but it just goes to show that God knew what was going on even when people said God must not know what's going on. Verse 8, So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. This is God saying, Moses, I have come. I have come to deliver the people. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. We talked about this earlier. Verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you, I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. 
Not the same Pharaoh who tried to kill you, but the same position of power that was after you. I'm sending you back to the place that you ran from because you must leave my people Israel. You must, I can't read. Excuse me. You must leave my people Israel out of Egypt. Whoa. God's calling is huge on Moses, which is funny because in verse 11, what does Moses say? But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I killed an Egyptian. I ran away. I haven't been there for my people. Who am I to do all these things? Who am I? I'm not called to do this. You have the wrong person, God. Who am I? Who am I to do this great thing that you have called me to do? How many of us are protesting God saying, who am I to appear before this circumstance? Who am I to go to this place? Who am I to say these things before these people? Who am I to do the thing that God, you have called me to do? You must have the wrong person. God answered him, verse 12. I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Here God gives an answer. But in verse 13, But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell him? In verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the people or the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. What does he say? This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. The same God that met Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him a task and a plan and a purpose to deliver the people out of Israel. That same God, the same eternal name that we remember in this generation has called us to do things as well because he has a plan and purpose for each of our lives. We may not be delivering Israelites out of Egypt, but maybe we're to be a light in somebody's lives and help deliver them out of their circumstance. Maybe God has called you to go into a foreign country and to spread the gospel. Perhaps God has called you to do something in your school. Perhaps God has called you to do something. And maybe you're like Moses. You're protesting. You're saying, who am I? Who am I to do that? I, maybe, maybe it's not even so much of a problem of you feeling like you have sinned so much. So much as the problem you feel you have is you're not qualified enough. Maybe it's... I, I can't speak in front of hundreds of people. I have a fear or I have a giant. Louis Giglio talks about how we have giants in our lives, even in the midst of our faith. Here's the thing. God can take down those giants. God can help you as he's walking you in the plan and purpose for your life. All we have to do is be obedient in the plans he has for us. And when he calls out our name, say, God, here I am. I surrender. Use me and thy will be done. Thy will be done. God has a plan and a purpose. The same God who met Moses on the mountain wants to meet you and wants to reveal the plan he has for your life. Whether he's going to use you to deliver other people or he's going to deliver you out of your circumstance, God wants to meet you. God wants you to know that he loves you and has greater things for you. And the difference 
One of the differences between him meeting Moses and him meeting us is that Moses was alive before Jesus Christ came down and died for our sins and made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God. Anybody who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior has the opportunity to have a relationship with God like what Moses and his people didn't have back then because they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the sacrifice. We are, li- we are living in an era of grace. God is a gracious God and he wants to meet us. He wants us to know he is a heavenly father who loves us. But something that's interesting to me, when we go back in the chapter one earlier on, it says he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. The thing is, we can be far out into the wilderness. We can be out in the wilderness where there is temptation. We can be running from something. We can be just out there. We can be so far out, so far away from where we started in a dry season and a terrible trial and God will still meet you. Moses was out far into the wilderness. The only difference is instead of Moses protecting his flock of sheep out in the wilderness, Jesus walks with us in the wilderness instead and he meets us in the wilderness and he is there for us. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the lowest of life, in the darkest of life, in the midst of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort you because God, Jesus, is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And even when we're in the midst of the wilderness, God still is with us and God still meets us. Maybe you've done that one thing. Maybe you're like Moses. Maybe you're exactly like Moses. I don't know who's listening to this. But when you give your life to Christ and you surrender, God already has had a plan for you. He's just waiting to give you the gift of grace. He's just waiting for you. Honestly, I find this message one that even sometimes I need to hear. Because in high school, I've had, I've had some trials myself. I've had, I've had some valleys, some shadows of death. I've, I've had it. And yet, what I have learned is that God still wants to meet me. In the midst of the things that I have messed up on, in the midst of the things and the things I've said that are just unrighteous, God still loves me and God still has a plan for me. And for me, especially, going out and knowing what God has called me to do and knowing the heart of God, um, at least for my life and what he wants me to do in certain situations. Sometimes I find myself like Moses too, asking, who am I, God? Who am I to say these people? Because here's the deal. When Moses went back, those people knew who Moses was. They, they, knew who, they knew Moses. Moses was the guy who killed that Egyptian. It would kind of be like some murderer coming out of prison. You'd recognize him from the news. You're like, hey, you're the guy I saw in the news with that mugshot. You're the guy who... You're the person at school. Hey, check it out. That's the girl. She slept with that one girl's boyfriend. Yeah, she's such a this and this name. Despite what people think about you, and despite what people know about you, rather than them thinking they know who you are, let God work through you so they can know the God who sent you. Because it's not so much about who you are or what you've done at that point. It's about who has sent you and who has called you to do great things. It wasn't so much about the fact Moses had killed a person. 
in his youth and came back. It was about the person who sent him. Moses first asked, who am I to go? But then he says, if I go, who shall I tell them sent me? Yahweh sent you. And in the same sense, Yahweh is sending you to places today. The answer to what you are going through is going to be saying, here I am to God. But the question is, are you going to answer when God calls out your name? And I think, honestly, if we can say, here I am, then there we're going to meet God. Thank you all for listening to Being Bold MCR. Make sure to share this message. Check us out on Instagram at Being Bold MCR or on Twitter or on Facebook page. And make sure, guys, that no matter what you're doing, you're sharing the love of God and you're being a bold messenger, conqueror, and revivalist. So remember, guys, to go off and be bold.